Welcome to Second Act Podcast. Second Act, it's a continuation and yet an evolution. It's finding meaning, fulfillment and deep sense of purpose. Through these podcasts, I would like to invite people who experienced their second acts, found a bigger purpose for themselves and are ready to share their stories because we truly believe that learnings happen through conversations. So welcome Sagar Satyal. This is the first time that uh, I am getting a person from the neighborhood which is Kathmandu, Nepal and uh, welcome. You run a company called My Emotions Matter, very much aligned to the work that I do. We have engaged very briefly before this, so it was a great opportunity to have somebody like you who's doing work in the space of emotional intelligence and working on ground with a lot of corporates. So welcome Sagar again and uh, this is the second act podcast and as the name says it all this is all about your second act so over to you to introduce yourself to the people who are hearing us it's always a great opportunity to tell about yourself your way Sure uh thank you Archana I'm really uh, glad to be here I'm glad that we're uh, meeting again although it's an e meet we had a brief conversation earlier but really happy to be here and to explore this space with you Uh, hello everyone I'm Sagar Satel and like Arjuna said I'm one of the co-founders of an organization called My Emotions Matter. We're based in Kathmandu Nepal and we're basically an education initiative that believes that the world would be a better place if more people learned the mindset and skills of emotional intelligence. So uh, what we do is we design self-reflective learning experiences. Now this could be in the form of uh, workshops, courses. We recently launched a book or it could be through consulting and coaching models uh, through which we try to help individuals and teams uh, learn the skills of emotional intelligence so that common everyday problems like miscommunication misunderstandings and conflicts can be resolved and at the end of the day we can be more productive and happier in that sense so that is what i'm currently engaged in apart from that uh, there's one interesting project that i'm also involved with Uh, very much aligned with whatever I just shared. Uh, I'm part of the HAT uh, project uh, by WHO and UNICEF. So I'm currently an education consultant uh, for UNICEF New York. We're designing some social emotional learning toolkit uh, to be rolled out in uh, multiple countries, starting from South Africa and Nepal. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to see if uh, we can incorporate more social emotional learning components right from schools so that all these big concepts like emotional intelligence and all of that does not feel very alien to these students when probably they grow older. So yeah that's a little bit about me Arjuna and I'm looking forward to this conversation with you. Yeah thanks Sagar it's very heartening to hear about what you spoke about the initiative with um, WHO and UNICEF. because you rightly said that if it starts as young as you know we are in school then we don't have to take this all the way to corporate levels and uh, you know in two days expect miracles to happen or two or three or four days of engagement miracles to happen right because this is something that uh, should be like you know in our blood to be emotionally intelligent but honestly speaking when i think of the word emotional intelligence i somehow feel they're so contradictory what do you think about this word <laughs> yeah i've been mean, asked this question a lot um how can you have emotions and intelligence in the same line is something that i get a lot but, you know previously before i really immersed myself in this field i started from 2015 16 onwards i also used to feel that you can either be emotional or you can be rational 
But the more I've come to learn these concepts, uh, for me, it's, it's about, I think, the whole process of trying to label how I'm feeling at this moment and to see that it's neither a good or a bad feeling. It's just a feeling that is probably indicative of a need of mine that is either met or unmet. So I'll give you an example. So let's say I'm having this sense of some unpleasantness within me, right? And now without these skills, I would probably lash out at the wrong person. It would probably be directed at a place where it would not help. But I guess with the skills that I've uh, come to learn, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, I'm working on it still, is I think I've been able to identify whether that's irritation or whether that's frustration or whether that's annoyance and just to connect with an underlying need. So my frustration or annoyance or anger might tell me that something important to me is not really happening, is threatened at this moment of time, which could be that the other person is not on, on time and I'm in a rush and this person called for the meeting. So if, I'm, if the meeting is already starting at least 30 minutes late, then that probably is going to affect a few other commitments that I already have. It's because it does not meet my need for punctuality and respect of my time. That is what is making me frustrated. I think the whole idea of being intelligent about how I feel, labeling it, and then connecting that with a need, I think that is what emotional intelligence for me means, which previously, yeah, like you said, it did seem a bit contradictory, but come to think of it, this is how I have started seeing this whole idea from now on. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. This is the kind of uh, explanation I also thought that uh, will come through because, um, you know, if, if we think about it, what you're saying makes sense. We right. need to be so aware of what is my trigger point? How am I behaving in a certain atmosphere with certain conditions? And uh, yeah. that leads me to all the anxiety and the stress levels. But, you know, mm -hmm. I just feel being a facilitator myself, Sagar, mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. When I go back home and something triggers me, you know, it's great to do these sessions. And when I go back home, I was okay. Thinking, okay, am I able to implement all of this myself? And yeah. uh, that's what I want to ask you. Are you able to implement all of this yourself? Um, no, because I'm a human being and <laughs> it's always a challenge, right? It's, it's always easy to react than to respond. We talk about empathy, right? Connecting with other people's feelings and needs and not taking, I mean, it's about taking responsibility for our feelings, but I think it's very easy to uh, hold someone else responsible for how we feel, even though our feelings come from our interpretation of events. And at times, yes, it does feel challenging, but I think with this journey of trying to accept myself and getting better at this, I think a bit of, I, I don't mind sharing my own stories of failures and vulnerabilities in the sessions itself. So I, I don't want to come across as perfect in the session. So I don't think it adds up to that pressure of, you know, being on a pedestal for participants to aspire to be like you and, and someone like that. What I really believe in is in horizontal relationships where I can see the other person as an equal. Uh, rather than you know living in vertical relationships where other people are either above me or beneath me and then subsequently I might have inferiority complex or superiority complex right but yes I can uh, you know connect with you in a sense that yes there are times when I look back and I feel I could have done better but I think it also needs to have that bit of self-acceptance to say you know what yes it didn't go as planned I could have done better I know better now and next time I think I might want to do something different about this so that's the way I've been approaching things. Yeah, but another thing is that if we wouldn't know, will we be so self-aware? So we are self-aware mm -hmm. that we're not doing it right maybe at this time. <laughs> you know? right. And there is still right. to go back to improve it. What if we didn't even know this word, you know, before? So right, yeah. yeah. 
Oh. But I just want to ask you, Arjuna, I have, I have a question for you. I mean, because you're also a facilitator and, and like you said, uh, the kind of work that we do is so aligned. Have there been times when people told you, enough with this awareness, right? Ignorance is bliss. You wouldn't have to think of all these things if you were blissfully aware. Have people give, given you that reasoning? And, and if so, how would you dealt with that question? Just like it says, charity starts at home, begins at home. Right. I have a lot of flack from people at home itself who make me aware about this all the time to say enough about this. Let's talk ground realities, you know. So it's right. not only in the corporate world that you face it, but yes, it is also, it begins at home that you have to keep challenging it and just putting your point across and saying, yeah, it works. So please hold on to it. It's, I just feel it's like anything to do put in practice, right? So things will never change overnight. So if right. you start doing yoga, yoga is not going right. to be impactful in a day. You have to put years of yoga into your life to actually see the change. And so we're right. uh, implementing any of these sessions from mindfulness to emotional intelligence or anything like that. No? What do you think? No, absolutely. I mean, this is what I was thinking today itself, because we were approached by an organization, right? So they want us to do a three-hour session. I mean, I'm always grateful when we get these sort of offers to have sessions in. But then, um, you know, the expectation is that uh, some, some this, this trainer will come in and will give us the tools and techniques, right? If I could just, uh, you know, put that inside inverted commas, and then just solve things and then just put emotions out of the way, help our team become more productive. And that is generally the line of thought. But, but you, like you said earlier, these sort of miracles don't happen overnight because you have these years of conditioning, these years of biases, right? And that's one of the challenges with our work at My Emotions Matter is also is to help people see that a lot of times we might be contributing to the very problems we complain about, right? I might complain that my colleague is not helpful enough, but then if I'm honest with my reflections, perhaps I don't really invite that sort of helpfulness that I seek from them, Right. And this is very hard to spot. And this is definitely a blind spot barrier. So, you know, to take participants through that journey of saying, you know what? Yes, other people might not be doing as you would like, but you're the only person that you can control. I mean, your own actions, maybe it helps to start from you. So can we, and obviously we're a bit gentle about this and, and it, we take them on a slow process, but I think this whole process of reflection itself at times uh, becomes difficult. And I've also seen that there are times when people want that quick fix. And for me personally, there's this big dilemma, right? I have this inner conflict because deep down, I know that I don't want to be prescriptive and say, this is what's going to work because everyone's context is different. Uh, circumstances are different, but on a fundamental level, if we could just help people you know, reflect on the fundamental principles of reflecting on yourself and nurturing better relationships with those around them, then I think it would be helpful. But yeah, along the lines of what you said, I mean, yes, these are things that are important, but yeah, overnight changes are not going to happen. And that is one challenge that we always face is to just help people see that there's a long-term benefit to this and they ought to be in it for the long run. Yes, absolutely. And um, I think Sagar, we are trying to make that shift, but ultimately the change has to happen from each one of us. The tools and techniques are all there, but um, to implement them in our life is not the easiest, but nothing comes easy as they say, right? (laughs) So tell me, Sagar, this podcast is about second act. Okay, so um, when you hear the word second act, what do you understand from that word? Why are you putting me on the spot here? But uh, let me try. I don't know if this will be correct as the way uh, you guys might define it. But 
for me, it's it's like maybe I'm just thinking of a cricket match, right? A test cricket match. You know, in normal circumstances, you get to have bat twice. And so uh, let's say the first innings did not go that well. So you're out for a duck. And now you have the second opportunity to make amends and, and to re- because you've had the chance to reflect, right? So you went in early, took an early bath. Your team is struggling out there or playing well. And you just look at yourself and you think about, you know what? I could have done better. I knew better. I could have done better. I could have helped the team. And I could have just employed myself at a higher level than uh, what it came to be. And so for me, second act would be this, this whole uh, reflection process and to actually come out for the second innings and then to be more intentional and to realize that perhaps, you know, this is the only inning that is guaranteed in this match now. After this, I don't even know if the selectors will select me. So let me give it my best shot and let me make this memorable for me and meaningful for those around me. I'm just connecting that with the cricket analogy, but that for me would be a second act. I don't know if it makes sense, but I just wanted to connect it that way. Absolutely. And it's a beautiful analogy. And the way you describe it is the way that you describe the second act. So, you know, what I do is I collect all the answers from people who are on the podcast. And when people ask me about my second act, I use like, you know, the best ones from here. (laughs) So you're right. Second act is really an intention to do better the next time or an opportunity given because of a reflection. Um, so if this is an opportunity of your second act podcast, which compels you to think, what is your second act? Or did you experience a second act? What would be your reply on that? I guess what this has taken me back to is the 2015 Nepal earthquake. So it was a big earthquake, right? And I remember the specific instance when, um, so I used to uh, live with my, uh, with my mom, my sister, my father and my grandmom who was 93 at the time. And then we had full-time nursing support. So there would be nurses uh, switching between their roles every 12 or 24 hours. And my grandmom used to stay uh, in the top floor. And then I, I was in the middle floor. And my, my father was not home at that time. And it was around 12 o'clock when um, I was, I remember working on my computer when everything started shaking so violently to so uh, vigorous. And then suddenly I realized that uh, the, the nurse just fled off. I mean, it was an instinctive reaction, right? It was a very uh, fear-driven reaction. And then she'd fled out of the door. She started running, crying. And my mom and my sister looked so clueless. It was it was nothing like, you know, it was like, we'd not experienced anything like that before in our life. I, I You know, I don't think words do justice to how, uh, you know, um, frightening that that incident was. And then uh, I remember that moment when um, I, I didn't know what to do. And then um, our house was one of these houses, right, where, where you, uh, you buy a ready-made house, which is meant for commercial purpose. So more like the housing kind. And so in the back of my mind, I, I felt like uh, this house would fall off because it didn't seem to me that it would be that strong a house to withstand the, the shake uh, that I was experiencing at that time. And so um, now I had this choice at that moment, right? I could run for my life and my mom and my sister could run with me. But I realized that my grandmom was stranded upstairs and um, I didn't know what to do. But, but it's interesting how even in the midst of that chaos, I had this you know, thought that, okay, I need to make a choice here and make it very quick. The question that I had at that moment was, okay, I can run away, run for my life. But somehow, because at that time, it seemed to me that the house would fall off and subsequently my mo- grandmom would be buried and then, and then would co- have to come back and uh, take her out of the rubles. And obviously she wouldn't survive. That's what I thought. 
So I just had one question that I asked myself was, will you be able to live with this decision for the rest of your life? If something happens to your grandmom and, but you end up surviving, the answer was a resounding no. So what I decided was, I thought it was a good decision at that time. I, I just told my mom and my sister to run off and they did. And I ran upstairs. I held my grandmom. I was 23 at the time. My grandmom was 93. And, and for a moment, I just thought, well, she's already 93. So maybe somehow she was nearing the end of her life. As for me, well, it seems like, you know, it's, it's come by pretty quickly, but so be it. What else can you do? Right. And so I just held her and uh, just was praying, you know, um, that uh, things would be okay. But I wasn't really sure that things would be okay at that moment. It was very bleak in terms of hope. But thankfully, after a minute or so, the shake uh, stopped for a bit. I had some neighbors come in. Uh, thankfully, they came in. Uh, we, we carried our grand, my grandmom downstairs and another neighbor was uh, kind enough to offer his car. And, and slowly things started settling in. Now, this is a significant event in my life because I believe that I was very close to death. And, and somehow I'd already resigned to death, so to speak, uh, based on what, uh, what I went through. And after that, the aftermath of the earthquake was people were so frantic. There, were, you know, there was no sense of calmness. I could see that people were not really reflective. They would spread all these sort of rumors. They would say, you know, we'd have a nine rector earthquake coming in. Everyone's going to die and so on and so forth. So they themselves were not calm. And subsequently, the environment that they were around, they were not impacting the environment in the best of ways. Right. And, and it was at that moment when I realized that, um, you know, there's something deeply fundamental that I need to work on, on myself, uh, because I'd been a topper all throughout my school and college. I, people had figured things out. But when, you know, the sort of devastation really struck, I, I didn't have answers. It, life felt very meaningless. Uh, people, you know, run after these sort of things like house and money and all of that. But but for the first time in my life, I saw that people were running away from a house that they prized so much. That really made me question, you know, at the end of the day, what really matters if, if you know, you're just running away uh, from one thing to another, even today, and you know, we're running away from the virus, right? We're running inside the house. Six years ago, we we're running away from the house. And so I think uh, that moment, and then just want to keep this very brief as well. But at that moment, I, I met a neighbor. Uh, his name was Amun. Uh, I'd never seen him before, but I found him to be the calmest person in the whole vicinity. And it wasn't that he wasn't aware of the challenges that were pressing us at that moment, but it just seemed to me that he realized that him reacting did not make matters better. It would just make things worse. So he's, of course, very vigilant. He knew that he needed to take certain safety measures, but he wouldn't add to the panic. And in him, I just saw a possibility that, you know, uh, perhaps life can be lived with that calm state of mind where you're alive to the challenges, but you respond rather than react. And then I started spending time with him because obviously we didn't stay inside the house. There were limited uh, spacing options outside of the house. People were sleeping in tents and all of that. And I started spending a lot of time with this person called Amun. And, you know, it was just one person who I think just showed me that uh, there was more to life. There was a different way. There could be a different approach. And, and this just led me to this idea. And then I started researching and thinking more in terms of these sort of topics and that led me to the idea of emotional intelligence. And then I started realizing that concepts um, that dated as back uh, to as 1997, 98 were so new to me. And this was 2015. And I just thought we were so far behind. And I just wanted to do something in this space um, so that, you know, tomorrow when something bad happens, or something unexpected happens, uh, people have the mental resolve to contribute in a meaningful way as opposed to maybe, uh, you know, uh, hurt themselves and harm those around them. 
So yeah, Arjuna, this is a very brief story of, I guess, how this sort of thinking came to be for me and which I consider to be my second act uh, from 2015 onwards. I think this is the most heartfelt story I've heard so far in my second act podcast, to be honest. It's giving me goosebumps just to even go back to what you experienced, how you came out of it and what you actually did. I mean, you know, so beautifully you've opened a company which only deals with emotions and how beautiful can that be? So thank you, Amol. I think that was his name. Actually inculcated that in you. And I think sometimes, you know, that's the reason why I do the second act podcast because there is just one moment, one person, one quotation, one book, one line that can change somebody's life. And may this be the podcast here and they can get, you know, to their second act more beautifully and easily. Thank you for sharing, Sagar. This is beautiful. And thank uh, you, Arjuna, for your kind words. Thanks for listening. Yeah, so nice. Uh, I would say, Sagar, I'm more motivated to ask you questions on your second act then because, you know, once you opened, uh, so this led to um, my emotion matters, right? I mean, or did anything happen in between? Eventually, it did lead to my emotions matter. So I started with a few mentorship programs. One thing led to another. I met my to be co-founder that uh, we were uh, two of the mentors. And then we started developing this sense of understanding of each other, understanding of these concepts. I grew more into it. And subsequently, my emotions matter. As a brand, it started in 2018. But yeah, like you said, all those events did lead me uh, to that um, space where I thought, you know, I want to dedicate my life to working on this because there's nothing more meaningful. There's nothing more urgent. There's nothing more pressing than this. And because perhaps it just seemed to me that I saw death from so up close, it just seemed like a lot of other things that, uh, you know, culturally is prescribed didn't make sense. It just did not feel like those things would lead me to a sense of fulfillment. And then subsequently, my emotions matter happened. And then today, here we are doing a podcast with you on the second act. So yeah, it's been quite a journey. Yeah, it looks like. But tell me something that, you know, um, talking about pandemic, you know, so what we are experiencing right now as a community, as the whole world, is very different when a part of the world is impacted, right? Because unless I have a have experienced this kind of earthquake or any other calamity, I do not know the pain of it, to be honest. I hear it and I say, yeah, yeah, there is a tsunami. Yeah, of course, people are you know, impacted. Yeah. I'm sorry for them, but I do not know that pain. For the first time, I think pandemic has touched right. everybody, right? Everyone has been impacted and there is nobody in the world who's left right. who doesn't know the pain of, you know, being in right. for the last two years. So how are you really right. getting it out um, through your work with uh, the corporates that you work with or any other people that you work with? What is that one thing which is working at this moment through your work? That's a great question. And now it's making me think. And I'm just realizing that I'll have to speak on behalf of so many people we've tried to help. And I'm not sure if everybody would agree with this, but I think uh, as an aspiration, I guess I would like to believe, I think what would have, what would help would be, I think the sense of psychological safety, I think is something that we've tried to help organizations with Uh, because there's so much going on. There isn't necessarily spaces within organizations where you can really express what you're feeling without having that fear that you will be ignored for sharing it, you'll be humiliated, you'll be marginalized, or 
downright punished for speaking what's true, what's your truth, right? I think this has opened this portal for also managers to really get a sense of, you know what, like you just said so beautifully, we're all in this together, right? Like talk about emotions and feelings might have seemed like something that actually gets in the way of people coming to work and performing. But now suddenly when your life is at risk and nothing is certain, I mean, the company itself, you know, you might be laid off and all of that was there, especially in the first lockdown. And it still might be true for many companies, uh, even with the onset right now, even one and a half years probably after initially what how it started, because I remember the lockdown started in Nepal in March, 2020. Right. So I think in that sense, I think that's the space for reflections, conversations, uh, to help people, especially with, uh, very specifically, I think, to help people with emotional vocabulary, because uh, that is something that we found a lot of people to be lacking. And uh, I talked about a book at the start of the podcast in my intro. One of the reasons that propelled us to write a book was also the fact that when we asked questions like, how are you feeling? A lot of times the answer we would get would be good. Yeah. It's all right. And that, for me, does not really do much to improve self-awareness and also to help someone else understand you. Because when you say, I'm good, I don't really know what you mean by that, right? Because you could be saying that to just about anything. So I think launching of the book and also having these sort of sessions on emotional literacy and also having these sort of sessions where people can come together and we facilitate those conversations. Because a lot of times what we've found is people find it hard to have these sort of conversations because they're not comfortable. They're not used to these sort of conversations. So I think all these things in their own ways, I think, have added up uh, to a lot of meaning in what we do and hopefully uh, has added value to a lot of people. And I guess on a light note, I think it's also given people something to do because there was a time when they had nothing to do so they could just spend their time you know, productively learning about something as important as this. Absolutely. And I think more and more organizations, people are aligning uh, with this thought and like you're starting in school now, you know, so I think it's going all the way back to saying at least my children should get it. I was having a conversation with my son the other day, in fact, and I was asking him, so what is it one thing that you missed in school? And he said some life skills or some lessons for life, which I think they completely miss out on. It's so mundane to be starting in a school because we have no idea what is reality. And nobody actually tells you if there's turbulence, how should you handle? Or what is turbulence in the front? You know, I was very impressed with that answer to say, if this boy can, you know, also at the age of 23, really go back and say, this is what I missed. And I'm sure so this is in fact, and uh, people have started to think. So yeah, proud of your work as well. Uh, you come from a, a small town compared to the world. <laughs> uh, so right. how has it been to be uh, this person coming from Nepal? In, in the context of doing a wor- something along the lines of what I do? Yes. yes. Is that how you mean? Yes, that's what um, I mean. I've had a lot of my friends, because uh, there's a trend for a lot of Nepalese youths to go abroad and they tend to settle in countries like the UK or the States or Australia, just to name a few. And a lot of my friends left pretty early. And I remember, I mean, they meant well. They used to call me and they used to say, you have to come out of Nepal and you have to be abroad. You will accept, you you know, you have have something in you that you will accept. This is what they used to say to me. And I, I used to thank them. I said, thank you for your kind words. But, you know, 
and this is not coming from a very patriotic sense, but still, I, I just felt like the kind of things that I was doing was unconventional. And I thought it would add more value to a country like Nepal, given that there's not much done in this space here already. Because if I'd go to America, and a lot of our frameworks might be borrowed from the states, right? If you talk about nonviolent communication and so on and so forth, a lot of these uh, frameworks are, are borrowed uh, from countries like the states. Even social emotional learning, like organizations like Castle, are, are in the states. But if you can bring that back and contextualize it, I just thought it would add a lot of value. And that's why I've been focused here. But slowly, I think with the advent of technology as well, I've had opportunities to uh, take sessions at the University of Pennsylvania, Institute of Development Studies in the UK. And also I have a few collaborative partners in the States where uh, I've been taking sessions virtually. And I think in that sense, uh, what I've seen is uh, if you stick for onto something for long enough and you're really passionate about this, I think it opens up doors in that sense. Of course, uh, culturally, it can be a difference. So when I, when I go to the University of Pennsylvania to talk about school climate and all these things, I make sure to tell everyone that I speak only from my experience and from what I've seen and done here. I don't mean to be prescriptive or to say this will work and this will not work because from for some other context, maybe something else might work. But I feel like it gives me a sense of gratification to be paving way for something as important as this in a country where these sort of things are for the most part neglected. You wouldn't have to go very far to understand that. My parents fail to help you know, my relatives understand what I do. So they wouldn't even get the company's name right. They would say emotional matter, right? Which kind of misleads you into thinking that this could be something else. So they'd probably say emotional matter or some, something like that. So yeah, it's, it's hard to explain what I do, even to my parents, but, but thankfully they've been supportive enough. And then I think that is how I would just uh, answer your question is, I, I guess at times I feel like more exposure would help. And that is when I seek for more opportunities. But I guess with the advent of technology, I guess, you know, the resources are abundant, only, you know, the, the intention to learn sometimes might be scarce. So as long as I have that in check, I think I should be fine to have the kind of impact that I'm already having in a public. Yes, I've seen your work and I have seen some parts of what you do. So I'm sure that people like you, sky's the limit. And um, I think pandemic has also shown us that uh, we are now really getting smaller as far as touching each other's lives throughout the world. The world has shrunk. Everything is possible. So all the best. You you never know. You might be just taking off to uh, the space in, in some time to take your emotional intelligence. <laughs> you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Sagar, it's been really good to speak with you. Before you go away, one more question before you go is what is next in your plate or which which second act are you looking for in your plate to rediscover or reinvent yourself that's a great question and i have a timely answer for this um so i've, I've never been uh, to a meditation retreat and uh, in two months time uh, i'll be taking my first step towards vipassana meditation i've i've always heard about it but i've never really made the time to go there but this year i just thought this might be something new that i might want to explore and as long as I have a learning attitude and I'm not anticipating that it'll be easy, I'm sure it'll be difficult, you know, away from all sorts of distractions, which we easily slide into. I think that is one exploration that will be a new act for me in two months time. So that is something that I'm looking forward to. But uh, overall, um, like you said, uh, from 2015 onwards, I, I wanted to dedicate my life to this mission 
of helping people become more self-aware, more empathetic, and also to communicate in a way where they're more likely to be understood by the other person rather than being seen as a threat. So I think this will continue, but that immediate step and a new exploration will be that Vipassana meditation starting in uh, October. So that is something that I'm looking forward to. Lovely. Do you know my story that I went for a silence program as well for 10 days and the next day when I came, I resigned from my corporate job and started second act. So. Oh, you did? Wow. Okay. I didn't know this. I'm so glad I brought this up. Now I know this about you. Yeah, so it was a 10-day silence meditation that I went for. And then the uh-huh. next moment I came and I said, no, I need to do something more. There is a second act I need to discover. And thanks to that, yes. beautiful second act that I have in my life. So all the best to you. And may Vipassana do that a really a forceful discovery which comes from there. It can really break barriers and it can get a lot of uh, reflections. So it's going to be a great journey. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Archana. And glad to know your, the fact that uh, you know, uh, the second act came out of that as well. So that's very interesting. And I'm also excited to see yeah, what might come out of that for me too. So yeah, thank you. So is there any, I give you a chance. I normally do not ask my guests, do you want to ask me a question? So I give you that chance because you mentioned. So before we go. Uh-huh. I have a question on top of my mind right away and be really curious to hear this. This difference between your first act and second act, what was the Archana from the first act not seeing, which the Archana from now can see very clearly? Something that even, you know, if, even if somebody tried to show this to this uh, old Archana from this first act, she wouldn't be able to see it. I can tell you there's a stark difference between the Archana of before the second act, there was an Arjuna who belonged to a very process-driven world and everything belonged there with mm-hmm. no intention of finding either inner discoveries or inner potentials or what is Arjuna even good at. It was all about mm-hmm. doing a task to the fullest, to my best potential, and that was life. I think in the last eight months or so since my discovery of Second Act, it's a changed Arjuna altogether. The kind of work that I have done, uh, I would have never imagined myself doing. The kind of learnings which I have, it's completely mind-blowing, I would say. I'm very proud of myself. And not that I wasn't proud of my corporate world, but as I said, it was very uh, aligned to what I was supposed to do and nothing beyond it. Here, it's completely open. Mind has opened up and I have become a very accepting person, I would say. I I had my closed network, not make new friends. I would just close in my own world, very happy with that. But I feel there is so much to life and so much to explore and so much to go into your second acts that I, I think I started very late. Uh, I just have one one follow-up question to this. I don't know if you're already done with your answering, but for this rejuvenated or newly found Archana that you're trying to cultivate each day, and I know you see this as a process as well, in the sense that it's it's an everyday thing, right? You, you continue that process of discovery. So uh, I just want to ask you, what is the best compliment somebody could give you right now? Be the most meaningful compliment to receive right now? That would be my last question. I think the meaningful compliment in real that I have got right now is that I'm a very inclusive leader in the sense of mm-hmm. I take people along my way and I want to see them as successful that I am. 
really give them chances to explore their own selves, which probably I wasn't before. So I think that's the best compliment that I've become more inclusive, I've become more adaptive, I've become more appreciative to the whole process. Yes. That's fantastic. Thank you, Arjuna, for sharing that. Thanks, Sagar, to be on my podcast and asking me questions. That's really a different kind of uh, setting for today, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, I'm so glad to have known you. I know this is just our second meet, but you know, I guess we talked about this in the first meet itself. It just feels a different kind of connection. I look forward to more conversations with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sagar. And uh, we will keep our second acts on and keep telling me about your journey, okay, so that I get inspired and through your stories, so many people who are hearing us keep getting inspired as well. Sure. Thank you.